Welcome to the Gut Feelings Podcast, where we have unfiltered conversations about real life with IBD. And we unpack IBD nutrition and make it less stressful. Welcome back to our podcast. Hello, hello. (laughs) So Rebecca is in a new place today. She just moved. How is it going in, in Florida? It's pretty good. It's different, much different than California for a lot of reasons, especially the weather. It's extremely hot and humid here, even though I'm wearing a sweater. But that's what that's what we do in Florida. We lower our AC so that, so that it's cooler because it's so hot outside. But yeah, it's it's great. It's pretty good overall. How's Sherman liking it? Sherman's enjoying it. <laughs> he... Uh, we watch sunrises together on the balcony, so that's pretty fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's always a good time. That's always a good time to watch him enjoy the sunset. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's super it's super fun. It's relaxing, which you know, it's important to to incorporate some relaxation techniques. Something that we try to do every morning is get up for sunrise and watch and watch it from the balcony. That's sweet. (laughs) Yeah, so we want to talk about today why we're doing this. So why we're starting a podcast, how we got into um, IBD nutrition, why that's important to us. And before we do that, I want to give an update too about I had a colonoscopy this week. So I had a colonoscopy yesterday. And why I'm sharing this is because it points out something that I think is really important. Uh, so I did my colonoscopy. Uh, it's been two years since I've had one. And typically when you've had IBD for 10 years, you then do colonoscopies a little more frequently. So instead of every you know, three to five years, typically people will do them every, every two or, or more frequently depending on where you're at. But I have been symptom-free for a while. And I did my inflammatory markers. So I looked at fecal calprotectin, which was normal. So if I were going off of how I felt, I might have put off a colonoscopy because everything looks good on the outside. However, in my colonoscopy, what they did find was that I still had severe inflammation in the rectum area. So it was good that we were able to detect that because that's important when it comes to treatment and in terms of preventing colon cancer, because you want to know, you want to know if you've got some inflammation that's still, still ongoing, because then you can take action. Um, Whereas I wouldn't have known. Um, So there, and I think there are a lot of people in that place of just feeling relatively okay, you know, on the surface, but just maybe not not knowing what else might be going on. So it was a good reminder to me to keep up with colonoscopies, even though even though they're pretty awful <laughs> to go through. Um, they're so important. They're so uh, such an important read on how we're actually doing. Yeah, that's really that's really great. Especially the fact that you mentioned. Well, it's great that you did that you did your colonoscopy and you didn't you know put it off. But it's great that you you know the the fact that you mentioned about clinically wise, you know, you feel fine, you feel good, not, not really symptomatic, but you know, the, the results of your scope showed 
you know, otherwise it was different, right? There was still some lingering inflammation. And so it's great that you did your, your colonoscopy because now you can work on that, that inflammation and you're able to get a better understanding of what's going on inside of your body. And so that's why, you know, sometimes we'll say that, you know, just because you feel good on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that everything is good on the inside and vice versa. You know, you can have all these symptoms on the outside, but when, when they go inside, they don't, they don't see anything. So that's why, yeah, that, that's why it's important to, to keep up to date with your procedures. Yeah. So, so that's my update. Um, so I'll probably have another one in like about a year um, to check on how that's going, but but otherwise, I'm just, I'm glad to be done. <laughs> I was really glad to eat again. I forgot, like, my least favorite part was being hungry, being hungry the whole time. Yeah. It's rough. That's hard. It is. It yeah. really is. Like, yeah. I I had a couple people on Instagram that said, increase the number of days, uh, not eating to help the prep go easier. But I was thinking, no way <laughs> would I ever do that. <laughs> the one day, one day of like partial fasting was enough for me. Yeah. No, I have no intention of extending that. And actually, speaking of prep, I tried a different type of prep this time. I did um, a Miralax one, which is the one I think you mentioned you were familiar with. I did Miralax mixed with like an electrolyte drink, and it was so much easier, so much easier than the other preps I've done. So, yeah. Yeah, I, f- I found the Miralax to be not terrible. It was, it was still, it was still hard. And I don't know, for some reason, I don't know, Ashley, if you, if you felt this way, but when I tried the Miralax, it tasted like chalk. Like it was really weird. (laughs) Chalky, like smoked. It was like a smoked kind of taste to it. It was, it was really interesting. What I'm curious to know though, is what was your first meal after your colonoscopy? Ah, well on the Miralax, I will say, do not smell it. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I learned. I smelled it beforehand. I was like, what is this stuff? And it, it literally smelled like glue to me. Yeah, it's just so- gross. I didn't I didn't taste it, but yeah, it smells pretty bad. But um first meal, so I brought a drink. It's like a plant based little protein drink. I brought that to my colonoscopy so that I could drink it immediately coming out. So did I did that. Give you their crackers and their juice. No, they didn't give me anything. They were like, "See you later." Wow! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, they literally rolled me out, and I was waking up as as I got there, and they started taking things off, and they're like, "All right," like literally ten minutes of being there before I was out. So how did you do it? Like how, when you were laying there and and you were about to go under, what was that? Like, what was happening for you in that moment? Like you just, did you, did you watch the probo ball going in or did you turn your face and you're like, I don't want to look at this. So I, I'm not sure if, if I mentioned this on a previous podcast or not, but the first time I got perfilol, I was this was last colonoscopy. I was very scared, very, very scared of it. You know, just scared of letting go and trusting. And so I resisted it that first time and, you know, started panicking. I started panicking because I had asked them to let me know as things were happening and I started feeling weird and they didn't let me know. And so just panicking. And so it was like a good five minutes of feeling panic and resisting it a little bit. 
And so this time, so yesterday, I really tried to actively work on this fear a little bit more. So I had been doing lots of meditations, like just imagining it going differently and trying to embrace the moment, trying not to resist, because anytime we resist, it just makes it way harder uh, on us. And so, so this time uh, I did get scared. (laughs) It was less scared than I was that first time. I got scared. I cried a little bit. I had a little panic like the first minute or so, but then I kind of just tried to embrace it and go with it. And I think that that made it a lot easier. And coming out of it though, I felt, I felt like I had really faced that fear. Um, I felt like so much better. I I feel a lot better about doing colonoscopies now. And it was a good reminder that, you know, if you have a fear or phobia of something, sometimes it takes just having one good experience and that can change your fear of that forever. You know, so I, I feel like this time, just because of how the, the doctors and nurses and anesthesiologists, how kind they were to me and how understanding and um, how they held my hand and just those things made it so much easier for me to just accept that I was afraid and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to now not be afraid of it. So I, I don't feel afraid of the next one, which is, I think it's a really big deal for me because I was more afraid of colonoscopies than so many other I've been through so much with IBD that you would think some of the other things I'd be more afraid of but it's for me it was just like the whole process of having colonoscopy was just kind of terrifying but I feel a lot better about it now yeah that's awesome I've had one uh full colonoscopy and that's where I had that uh, meltdown but I can definitely relate to you know facing your fear because it was the fear of unknown at the time, the fear of the of the unknown, not having any control, and that's in the sense of of propofol being administered, and yeah, I think those are the two biggest things: not being in control and fear of the unknown, which those are pretty big fears. And so I I, I can understand, you know, the feeling of accomplishment when you face that. It's it's a really big deal. I know my I know my colonoscopy is coming up in like a month and I will most likely cry <laughs> but I don't think I'm going to panic and have a huge meltdown as I did the first time. I think I've I've overcome that. It's kind of like wow. Yeah, and it's kind of cathartic when you when you think about it like you you release all these emotions, you know, and you just kind of really let it all out until you get to the point of pure exhaustion and you just can't really do anything anymore and you just you roll with the punches and you just do it maybe that's the point of the the long prep (laughs) it just wears you down (laughs) you just like by the time you're you're driving in the car and your blood sugar's low and you're just like oh my god like i'm just ready for this to be done it's you, yeah, you really get to that point of like physical, emotional exhaustion, like where you, 
you kind of, it takes a lot to fight anything at that point. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, okay, last piece is the actual procedure. I'm here. I'm exhausted. My hair is all over the place. I look like a zombie. I don't care. Just do what you need to do and get me out of here, <laughs> you know, and, and let's just go with the next steps. But I definitely think the procedures that we have to go through, and as I'm saying this, I'm just like, oh gosh, it's, it's just still coming to terms with it, that the procedures that we have to do are not easy. I mean, they're very, inv- they're so invasive. They're not. No. Yeah. yeah. You're so right. And I, I opened up about this on Instagram. Just, I felt like I needed to be really just honest about like all that I go through with all of this. Cause I know I'm not alone. And and I shared a little bit, you know, and the other reason is because when I talk to people on calls, you know, they're, they often have this assumption that because we're practitioners that we don't ever struggle, that we, that we've somehow overcome IBD and it's over, but it, it's just not true. There is a difference between being a practitioner and being the patient. The pra- practitioner us might recommend something where the patient us would really struggle <laughs> with actually doing that part, you know? So yeah, I opened up about it a little bit on Instagram and was just amazed at how much that resonated with people mm-hmm. with just how scary it can be and the process of all of it and and really just so much support from other people too that made me feel really connected to the community and and we just, you know, IBD patients are just some of the most interesting people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. You know, kind of going off of what you're saying, you know, just being a practitioner. I know that when I work with, you know, our patients that have IBD, I kind of, I don't know, for some reason, I just tend to, like, not really think about my own IBD, because I am so aware and alert of what my patients are telling me about their IBD, that it's almost like, this okay like I am so into hearing what your experiences are what you're going through right now and I can literally be sitting there in some sort of cramping or some sensation and my patient would have no idea because you know and every dietitian works differently of course but I just think that, you know, for, for me and kind of delivering this message to my patients and to whoever's listening right now, just because you're working with your dietitian about your IBD, it doesn't necessarily mean that we or dietitians in general have solved all, the, all their problems. I was just telling um, Ashley before getting on this call, I opened up to her about some symptoms that I'm having and, you know... Bleeding is a really frustrating symptom, one of the many frustrating symptoms to have with with ulcerative colitis. And it's something that I just can't shake off. You know, it's just this so persistent. And it's frustrating. And this is part of the reason why I'm a dietitian who specializes in IBD and work with other patients like me who, who have IBD because... I 100% get it. I get I get the emotion behind it. I know what it feels like to feel defeated, overwhelmed, stressed, and just like not knowing what's going on. Like just incredibly confused. 
Yeah. That's a, that's a real important part of, of all of this is the emotional side. Cause we go through so much with IBD and yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge, um, or separate, be able to separate the practitioner from a, who we are outside of that. Cause you can be really good at helping people with that and still struggle. And that it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that you failed at all. Yeah. And I'm getting kind of emotional right now, which is, it's hard. Yeah, it's crazy because, um, like, I don't think I've opened up like this on our podcast. But, you know, this, this, this disease is really hard. And it's just, yes. it's really, um, it's really unpredictable and it provokes a lot of anxiety. And it's hard. And I don't, you know, I don't think I've gotten emotional from this in a while. It's, it's been a really long time and I'm grateful for all those good days. But, you know, sometimes we have like, sometimes we have bad days and today mm-hmm. just happens to be a, a funky day for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's awkward. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not at all. You're being, I mean, you're being real and honest. And I mean, there has been times with my IBD where it's, it's been hard, like, or even just hard, like seeing people I work with succeed and do really well. And then feeling like, well, why doesn't that work for me like why isn't that why is this not working the same as it did there's so many unknowns it's like we're all so different we all have different places where our IBD affects us and different severity different stress different medications and I think that makes it really difficult for people as we often you know I mean, I even compare myself to my own patients, like <laughs> just, just think, why am I not succeeding like they are, you know, which I've been okay right now when I'm really thankful for it other than the, the severe rectum inflammation, but, but symptom wise, I've been feeling all right, better than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's even frustrating to know that, to know that I'm feeling okay but there's this whole area of my colon that's like not okay. Like not okay. Like what what's next when you're when your whole colon, like your whole rectum is just, you know, a mess. I mean, it's, that that part is just really hard cuz you know, you do everything to a T. I know a lot of IBD patients do like your you follow your meds to a T. You do your nutrition perfectly and you can still be in a place where it's not working, not working to where we want it to be. Right. And that's a very hard reality to sit with. Yeah, no, it, it is, especially when like, you know, we're kind of born into this life, like <clears throat> going to school, right? And, you know, you go to elementary school, you go to middle school, high school, and then you're off to college and then you get a job. And it's like what we've been taught is, the harder you work, 
you'll, you'll see the benefits from it. Or the harder you study, you're going to get those grades. You're going to get those good grades and you're going to get into a, a great school. So it's like when you put the work in, we're so used to getting that reward. It's like that reward system. And with our, with our autoimmune disease, with IBD, it's like you can do all the meditation in the world. You can eat all the plants in the world and try to do perfectly with your diet. And you can try to do the best exercises for your body. And you can do everything, quote unquote, perfectly. But it doesn't mean that you're going to get out of your, you know, your inflammation or your symptoms are just going to magically improve and disappear. It's, it's, it's not like that. You know, what we do know is we're able to take some of the literature that's out there that we know is promising and use that to help our condition, because we know that that's going to be a little bit better than just not caring at all. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm grateful that there's research showing how impactful vitamin D is with IBD. I'm grateful to know that we know the benefits of fiber and we know ways to heal our gut microbiome and we know what it is our microbes are asking for and what they want. You know, I'm grateful to know that there's that there's research out there explaining that and that there's ongoing research and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation are are committed to to finding a cure or finding ways to improve quality of life and providing research. And so these, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm tremendously grateful for all those resources, but I think it's also important to not be so hard on yourself. And I know I, I'm like totally contradicting myself because the tears, they just represent the feelings of being defeated and uh, having a bad day. And not every day is going to be perfect, you know? That's why it's like we have some good days and we have some bad days. And it's part of like really rolling with the punches. <laughs> yeah. And this is really supporting patients with IBD. I truly feel that I practice what I preach in this situation. So things that I tell my patients to do, I do myself. And it's not because of my own personal you know, opinion. It's mm -hmm. because I follow the research. It's what the research is showing. So whatever the research is telling me, I do. And then I teach and educate and provide that recommendation. That's a really important distinction because I do think, especially with people in our position that are both practitioner and patient, sometimes there's a tendency to recommend things based on what works for us and through our own lens, but it's really important as a practitioner to separate ourselves, like you said you do in sessions, to be able to separate and just focus on what we know. What we know is what we know works. And it's important because when you're reading online and you're getting confused about like all the different con contradictory approaches, you know, just remember to ask yourself, like, is this person speaking from a place of bias or are they speaking from something that has evidence. And I think that can really be helpful in filtering out, you know, a lot of things we, we see online. Mm -hmm. Just being able to kind of verify if what people are saying 
you know, actually has evidence or if they're just talking about their own personal experience. And personal experience is valid too. Absolutely, it has a place, but we have to take into consideration differently, you Mm -hmm. know, because it's specific to the person versus larger studies are looking at kind of what we know as a whole. Yeah, and I think, you know, our patients are trusting us with the knowledge that we have. I mean, just like how we trust our physicians, you know, what they're doing is correct and that they read up on research and they're staying updated. It's it's part of providing quality care. And speaking of your own personal experiences is fine, but it's another to recommend something because that specific thing worked for you because everyone is just so different. Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Well, we probably should should wrap it up for now and do a maybe do a part 2 on yeah. why we're actually doing this. Why how we got to where we are, what we hope to provide in this podcast, what we hope to um, provide as a as a company. So we'll be sharing a little bit more about that maybe in the second part two of this. But thank you for for sharing, Rebecca. And thank you for those of you that are listening today. Thanks, everyone.